Take your Bible tonight, if you would, and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 15. And just remain seated. And we are going to begin, or I should say renew, our study in the book of Acts that I was in before the sabbatical. And so I'm going to relocate that study to Wednesday nights. And we'll pick up something new on Sunday mornings here in a couple weeks. But I wanted to uh, not forget these last chapters of the book of Acts and um, get back to it tonight. All right. Everybody doing okay? All right. Everybody's a little quiet, so just making sure. Okay. Let, let me do this tonight. I, I may not have you stand. I, I want to give some backdrop and context before I actually read the text this evening. And we'll be in the latter half of the chapter, verse 36 through 41, in a moment. So, just a little bit of a recap, and this will be, you know, a 50,000 view recap of where we've been in terms of this text. But um, the beginning actually begins with the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ um, from, you know, the resurrection from the dead and Him speaking to the disciples about building His church. Um, after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Ghost falls upon a group of disciples in Jerusalem. And the grace of God and the Holy Spirit's power uh, empowers them. And Peter and John and the other disciples begin to share the gospel in an incredible way. And many, many Jews are saved there in Jerusalem, and so too are a number of Greeks. So effective are their evangelic efforts that thousands, and then in time tens of thousands of people are saved there in that city. It's an incredible start to the gospel. Because of people being persecuted in time, specifically in Jerusalem, the gospel begins to spread because of that effort. And a church is soon formed in a place called Antioch. Now, Antioch will become a very significant church, rivaling in some ways the importance of Jerusalem in time. And Antioch is found in Syria. It's north of Jerusalem uh, by a, a number of miles, uh, what would be in today uh, Syria, most likely. And so a church begins to form there. And in this time, in this interim, the Apostle Paul, who is really um, uh, maligning the church, persecuting the church, he's at this point Saul. He is met by the Holy Ghost on the Damascus Road, and he has a brilliant conversion. And uh, he begins to try to follow Christ. But as you can imagine, the disciples back in Jerusalem are terrified of this man. Like they want nothing to do with him. All they know is that he's a, a murderous agency uh, as far as Christianity goes. They're scared of him. But a man named Barnabas sees the grace of God in him. And Barnabas was from a place called Cyprus. He's a godly man. That's an island off the coast there in the Mediterranean Sea of Ways. And he, he becomes a very devout man and a servant there in the Church of Jerusalem. And he sees something in Paul that allays his fears. And so he actually is the agent that introduces Paul to the disciples. And the disciples at first reluctant, soon embrace Paul. And after a time of um, discipleship and instruction, they send him on uh, to Antioch where he begins to labor and build a church there. After some time, Barnabas joins him there in the two labor uh, together in that city. Um, Paul feels uh, a compulsion by the Holy Ghost to go on a missionary journey. And so he chooses Barnabas to go with him and hands are laid upon them. And these two men go out along with a man named John Mark. Now, this would be a relative of Barnabas, uh, a cousin, and he's a young man maybe not fully proven or vetted at this point, but he goes with these two men 
on this first missionary journey. And so their itinerary is this, is they're going to go to the homeland of Barnabas, which would be Cyprus, it'd be familiar territory. And so the three of them sail for there and they really go from the uh, one side of the island to the other. And they, they, they're met with great success and we don't have time to talk about those stories. But from then they decide to sail on to the region of Galatia. And so to put this in some perspective, I, I should have had a map tonight, but we have Israel and then we have the region now known as Jordan and then Syria. And then above that you would have Turkey. So sort of this um, uh, western side, uh, I'm sorry, the eastern side of the Aegean Sea. And so they sail there. And so they land in a place called Pamphylia, and they begin this journey. But somewhere along in this, early on, John Mark abandons them. He deserts them. Now, no one knows why John Mark, this young man, does this. There are some theories. It could be this. It was just difficult and hard. It just was, this is this was more than he bargained for it, and he wanted to go back. Maybe it was because of some persecution they were receiving. Really, a lot of the people that they would have spoke to in Cyprus would have been uh, Jews. And now they're going to a primarily Greek area. These have been, uh, I should say, Greek-influenced cities. These have been Gentile cities that would have had Jewish synagogues in them. And it could have been possible he was intimidated by being around so many pagans or Gentiles. We, we don't know the reason, but uh, he abandons them. But Paul and Barnabas press on, and they travel from the coast there in Pamphylia, or what we know as Turkey, and they go up into the mountains, and there's a lot of interesting events that happen there, and they trace their way back. And then, of course, time they sail uh, back to Antioch. And they begin to share reports of all that they were able to accomplish. And they were most excited the fact that not just did the Jews receive the gospel, but lots of Gentiles did. Well, the Jews in Antioch and Jerusalem met that sort of in a mixed review. Some were incredibly excited about the Gentiles being saved. And as you can imagine, these Jews, newly converted, still were holding on to their Jewish traditions, and many of them are reluctant to uh, accept these Jewish converts. And some of these Jewish converts began to press upon Paul and Silas that these new Gentile converts uh, in these regions of uh, Cyprus and uh, Pamphylia, Galatia, that they needed to practice the Jews' religion. And so they, you know, would suggest things that maybe like they should be circumcised or they had to, you know, do different Jewish rites. And so there was a big argument about this. And so Paul and Barnabas decide, well, we're going to go to Church of Jerusalem. So they travel there. They have a big uh, conference. And um, so they're in a room like this, maybe, not quite this nice. And they're all sharing their opinions. And then finally, Peter stands up and says, oh, you know, this is my paraphrase. Okay, guys, enough. Enough. And he begins to talk about the grace of God. And. Um, you know, the, the grace of God is all that matters. We are saved by grace through faith alone. We're, we're not going to attach works from our old religion to what Jesus Christ has done. And, and, and so he stands up and gives this speech. And then James, who is the leader really now of the church of Jerusalem, stands up and says, ditto. That's a super big paraphrase. And he says, he basically says what Peter said. And then he goes on to say, so... They, they write this, this kind of concord. They, they, they write this paper that basically says, you know, um, 
you know, we are saved by grace through faith. And then this is where that whole stuff we, we learn about, about meat sacrificed to idols. And we're going to ask these new converts not to eat that. And there's a few little things I ask them not to do, not as requirements to be saved, but rather as acts of deference to in the regions they are at so that so they don't offend the Jewish converts. So this is amazing. They ask these new Gentile converts to defer to the Jews who are being saved, you know, and they, and they really, for the most part, readily do that. And so they're all rejoicing in this, this decision, Paul especially, of course, because grace prevails. And so then him and Barnabas go back to Antioch, and the Bible says they labored there for an undisclosed amount of time, and then the Holy Spirit impresses Paul uh, to go back. No, I want you to go back. And I want you to revisit these cities and see how these people do. And so really it was not, uh, it didn't intend to be maybe a new missionary journey. It turned out to be that way. But he was going back to just confirm the churches and really to deliver this letter that was written back in Jerusalem. And so Paul, which makes perfect sense, chooses Barnabas to go with him. And, uh, and so they're in agreement about that. And then Barnabas says, let's take John Mark, and then that's where we're going to begin our reading. Okay, so let's go ahead and stand. We'll do that. On, I think I've said it, got us to the place where we can just go to that text. And I have to find my place in my notes, though I may not use them tonight. So Acts chapter 15, verse number 36, we are now ready for our story. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, um, who departed, and that's a kind word, deserted from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. Now let me just stop here for a second. That said very concisely, but this would have created a great additional burden on this team. Like this desertion was just not, oh, he's gone. This would be uh, more significant than all of a sudden if Eastland Baptist Church lost one of our staff members. It'd leave a giant hole. It would be a big deal. And, and these two men went on despite this loss. So this is a, this is a big deal in Paul's mind anyway. And the contention, verse 39, was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Now that's, that's significant because that's his homeland, but it's also the place where they first went. And so they are doing what Paul impressed upon his heart to go back to the people they had first visited. In verse 40, and Paul chose Silas, this would have been another church leader. Uh, the Bible calls him a prophet, and he was a leader and recognized both in Jerusalem and Antioch. Chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren there in Antioch unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria. And so instead of sailing to Galatia, they began the arduous journey up to Syria and then around to Galatia. And they went through Syria and Sicilia, confirming the churches. All right, let me pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for the night. And Lord, we, we, we just marvel at the Word of God and its truth. It's the insight that it provides for us, the light and the lamp that it is. And tonight, Lord, we just want to consider the story 
And Lord, there may be no direct principles for us, but there's application from this text. Because Lord, every one of us has been in a place of uh, conflict, Lord, of difference with others. And I, 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 I want to learn some truths and lessons from this text for our lives. And so help us with that in Jesus' name. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. So again, after some time in Antioch, Paul's heart began to be pulled back to the people, as you can imagine, that he had won to the Lord and in these places began churches. He invited his good friend Barnabas. And I want you to think about it for a moment. Barnabas was really a good friend. This was the man who first accepted the Apostle Paul when no one did. He took him under his wings in a way at the beginning as a mentor. In time, Paul probably surpassed him. But he was that initially. He befriended Paul. He loved Paul. He stood up for Paul. He backed him up. They, these men labored together for probably a number of years in Antioch. They had established a, a great kinship. And so it made great sense that Paul invited Barnabas to go on this second journey with him. Barnabas, no doubt, felt the same impulse that Paul did. And so um, I'm going to assume that discussions began to ensue for preparations that needed to be made to go back and make this journey. And in those discussions, rather quickly, the subject of taking John Mark back with them came up. Now, Barnabas, uh, we know him as a son of encouragement. He was an empathetic soul. He was a man of the second chance, obviously from the way he viewed the Apostle Paul. And so he wanted uh, to give this young man, John Mark, a second chance. He saw in him uh, a measure of potential, and he wanted that potential realized. Paul, on the other hand, had a soldier's mindset. He, he had a mission in front of him, a task that needed to be completed, and he was looking at the merits of the young man, and he had failed. He was given a chance, and he was a deserter. This mission was super important, and he didn't want to run the risk of being in the same place that he was before and give this man responsibility for only for him to advocate it a second time. And so he thought, and the words actually used would imply that he was unfit and unworthy and based on previous conduct, I think that was probably, in Paul's mind, a fair assessment. And so a contention arose, which often happens when two people have strong opinions that oppose. And the language somewhat intimates that there probably was a heated discussion about this uh, to some degree. The Bible uses the word sharp. And the word contention means dispute. And so, you know, a dispute doesn't necessarily have to be argumentative or angry, but the word sharp adds a little bit of a, you know, emphasis to that. So the idea really is, is both men were unmovable. It doesn't necessarily imply they were arguing, though that probably happened, but they were just in total disagreement. They, they could not uh, come to terms. Uh, they, they just, for the moment, couldn't get on the other guy's page. And so the Bible says, so... Because of that disagreement, that sharp contention, that they agreed to go in separate directions. Paul chose Silas, a church leader and prophet, meaning a preacher. And uh, they agreed to uh, go on around uh, the region to Galatia. Barnabas then chose John Mark to sail back to uh, Cyprus. Thus, if you look at it 
from a higher view, thus effectively multiplying their impacted ministry. So what looks like a negative very quickly, and this is what the Lord can do, turns it into a positive, multiplying the ministry. Now the text records that the church commended, and this is the idea of praying for someone. Brother Brian wants to go someplace on behalf of Eastland Baptist Church, and so the members and the leaders of Eastland, you know, would get together and we would commend Brian, we'd probably put our hands upon him, and we'd pray for him. And the idea is that our prayers might have some ability to impart grace to him. And so they were blessing him in a way, and they did that uh, for Paul and Silas. The scripture is silent on whether or not they did that um, for Barnabas and John Mark. Some people think that's significant. Um, my opinion, which matters very little, is this, that the primary reason for that is they may not have. But really, from this point on, Barnabas really isn't mentioned in the rest of Acts. And Luke, the writer, begins to really focus attention on this now quickly rising ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so it's really uh, kind of a point of emphasis as a writer to focus on this singular individual. We've already seen Peter and John and these men recede. And now Paul's the primary person in view in the, in the book of Acts at this point going forward. So I don't know that we can read too much in the fact that these two men are not mentioned. Now much has been said and written by commentators about this high pro profile conflict um, between Paul and Barnabas. Now the fact that two of the most I'll use this word, spiritual men in the New Testament have a quarrel recorded in the Bible is in fact notable, right? And, and so, you know, if um, Brother John and I or Brother Daniel and I had a, you know, a really heated exchange and you all aware of that, you know, I don't know if you'd write about it, but it'd be a thing. And, uh, and it might even discourage you some, or you might choose sides, you know, I'm of, I'm of Troy and I'm of Daniel, you know, I don't know. Um, People do that. So it is, it's fair that there's been a lot of commentary around this event. And most often the commentary is focused on who was right and who was wrong. <laughs> and, uh, sorry, I just, that's Western mindset. There's a hero and a villain. There's a right and a wrong. Um, we like dichotomies. That's the way our brain works. We like Simple binary relationships. You know, we like things to diverge, and here's the winner, and here's the loser. Now, in this discussion, again, it's, it's a little comical to me uh, the way that, you know, these different people assign winners and losers to this, this discussion. Uh, often, Paul is judged in the right because he was an apostle, you know. He was the higher authority. And I guess that would be fair. Paul was the apostle. But Paul himself made it very clear, hey, we're just men of like passion as you. Because men hold office, yes, they are held, and rightly so, to a higher standard, but they don't stop being human. And, and so you, know, you could say, you could argue a Barnabas should have just deferred. And I, I suppose there's, there's an argument in that. Um, you could, people argue for Paul because, well, the second missionary journey was such a huge success. And it was because it expanded way past this region and went into the regions of Macedonia. And, you know, that was a, a, a great success. Um, those arguing for Barnabas might cite 
that grace and forgiveness are cardinal Christian virtues. And they trump any hesitation that someone might have based on a poor performance in the past. That grace and forgiveness should always be extended. But just because Paul didn't want to take him didn't mean he didn't forgive him. Those aren't necessarily the same things. Um, I can forgive you, but I don't have to trust you again until you merit it. And so those aren't necessarily the same things. Um, the empirical evidence, maybe standing on Barnabas' side, would be this. John Mark um, did end up writing a gospel that has his name attached to it. Um, Philemon, uh, 2 Timothy, Philemon 24, 2 Timothy 4.11 mentions that in time, uh, the Apostle Paul actually asked for John Mark to come back because he was useful and helpful for him. So Paul, at a later date, actually sent for Mark. And um, he became a companion and a helper to Peter as well in time. So he wrote a gospel. He was a friend of Peter. He was a helper to Paul. That's pretty good uh, evidence that maybe Barnabas made a good choice in reinvesting in this young man. But the Bible remains silent. It doesn't say there was a right or a wrong. That's our tendency to do that. I think it's a false dichotomy that one would be right and one were wrong. An opinion, and that's all it is. My assessment is this, reading the text, both were right and neither was wrong. Both were right and neither was wrong. You see, I, I, so, and I think the reason people force a right and wrong is because the words here seem um, aggressive, you know, Parting asunder, you know, the word asunder just sounds, you know, kind of big to us. And, you know, whenever we think about contention, uh, we, we, tend, we, we tend to think that people act like we might, that they get mad and they leave and that's, that's all the way things are settled. But people can behave differently than that. You know, two people can differ greatly and still get along. Um, they can still be friends. And so I, I, I don't read all of that like some might. I, I don't see, I see the word contention, meaning disagreement. I, I see the idea of, of a departing, meaning just that. They couldn't agree on this, so we're going to do something different. Um, it doesn't say that where the contention um, was super violent or aggressive. Sharp simply means that they couldn't get on each other's side. It was sharp. One was on one side, one was firmly on the other. And, the, and leaving simply means that. They just both went in different directions. Um, their departing over the issue could have been amicable. And the reason I think it was not only amicable, but somewhat purposeful, because they're somewhat deliberate in their strategy. You two go to where we first went, over here on the island of Cyprus. And we'll go this direction. That sounds as much like a plan as an argument. Right? I mean, you, can, you don't have to accept that, but to me I see that as much as a plan as an argument. Paul didn't say, no, no, you guys can't go there. You're taking John Mark, so you can't do that. It seems to me that had Paul's blessing. And we do know in time that these guys renewed a relationship, and I don't know that it is actually, that's even the right word. Because uh, Paul commends both John Mark, and later he also commends, um, in talking to the Corinthians, he makes reference 
to him and Barnabas working together, I think, in chapter 9. And so um, I just think there's a different way to look at this. Um, argument that both are right. Giving John Mark a second chance um, is Christian. Our failures don't have to be final. Um, Barnabas had a familial relationship with this man. He was family. It would be natural to say, hey, hey, brother, you know, you made a mistake. Let's talk about the mistake. Can you do better? I can do better. Okay, uh, let's go. And he takes him even to a safer environment. Going back to Cyprus was not the same thing as going to Galatia. One was far less threatening to a young man trying to get back on his feet. You know, to throw him right back into the difficult environment of Galatia may have ruined him. And so there's, a, there's even some wisdom here that's going on. So we have a man who's related, who wants what's best for him. Um, this bond of affection no doubt played some role. Plus, I think it was Barnabas' personality type, as already proven by the Apostle Paul, uh, to give people a second chance to be an encourager, to try to mentor them. And so it made sense. For Paul, it makes sense. He was a soldier on a mission. It was a big deal to him that this was done right. He didn't want to be left in the lurch or the mission left in the lurch. He had credible reasons for second-guessing this man's character and past performance. And again, he could have forgiven him, but I would understand if he did not trust him. It was a big deal. And so with those, those kinds of thoughts, it's, it's easy for me anyway to say there's not someone wrong. You have two men who are right looking at an issue from a different window and perspective. And from the two perspectives, it makes a lot of sense. And the fact that one went to the harder area and one went to, went to an easier area, it just it feels to me there's somewhat of a design, an amicable decision about how that um, a, a parting asunder may have happened. I do believe that people can sharply disagree and not be enemies. So, just some very quick bullet thoughts and uh, we'll be done. Uh, these, are, these are some things that I think could, could help us in uh, the likelihood that we find ourselves in a sharp disagreement with people. And, and let me just preface this. Um, there are times when a sharp departure should be that, a sharp departure maybe, and, and maybe not the fellowship, if we're talking about uh, something doctrinal. Okay. There's the, the, this, is, this is not theological here. Something theological, there's a different kind of dividing, I'm not talking about that tonight, uh, but that's different. Something, something moral or truly right and wrong, that could also create a, a different kind of, um, you know, parting. But in many of our disagreements, and even many of our sharp disagreements, okay, how about this? Politics. Politics. A place of sharp disagreement. Maybe, maybe a few cultural issues, sharp disagreement. And you, you can fill the blanks how you want there. I'm going to suggest to you, number one, that disagreements among good people are inevitable. Is that fair? Were these two men good people? Yeah, I'm going to suggest to you they were the best of people. And two good people disagreeing does not, not, does not also, does not automatically, forgive me, make one right, one wrong, one villain, one hero. Good people. 
um, two pastors could, could see some issue differently and from their perspectives that might be okay. Something happens here in the church and it's maybe there's an individual in the church and something happens. So you might see it one way based on your close proximity to that person. I might see it differently as the protector of Eastland Baptist Church. Does that make sense? So don't force a villain when there isn't one. One is protecting a different interest than maybe the other. And so maybe there's a way for both people to be okay and for us to still get along, though having a sharp disagreement. Okay? And so I think that's a mature way to begin to look at some disagreements between people. I think otherwise we can develop unreasonable expectations in conflict that can really discourage us. A second thought is this. Looking from the other person's window can help you understand their position or perspective. Okay, so let's, let's go back to a decision that maybe I would make as pastor. From where you sit, you may see an issue and, uh, you know, you have y- your window. And from your window, it's, it, it's clear as can be. And then, so I would say to you, okay, let's talk about it. I hear you. Okay, now come here and look through my window. And I got to work with this person and this person. And then here's a, here's a primary effect and then a secondary and tertiary effect. And there's dominoes here that maybe you don't see from your window. And all of a sudden you go, oh, you know the old saying, you know, we, we need to walk in some of their shoes a while before we have a hard decision about it. There's some wisdom in that. Because sometime in a sharp disagreement, all we can do is look at our window. And, and that may not be, be because we're narrow minded. It may be because that's the window we're looking through. Now, sometimes we're terrified to look through somebody else's window. because That can feel threatening to us. Um, but in many sharp disagreements, I, I think there are times we should step back and say, uh, explain it to me. Help me understand it. Let me see this. Um, this is my vantage point. Help me understand yours. And it takes same conversations to get there. A third thing that I've already alluded to, disagreements don't have to always have winners and losers. Okay. We have these things at home with people we love, uh, often husband and wife, and we call them fights, right? Okay. And fights, I mean, just the word almost implies someone's got to win. You know, there's got to be some referee that holds up my hand and says he won. You know, it's not ever my hand, but you know, sometimes you've got to win. Fights don't have to be about winning. Fights really should be more about uh, growing in knowledge and understanding, helping me see another perspective, understanding the way you see things. Here's the way I see things. And we, when you assign always an immediate winner or loser, especially in relationships, then both people lose. And so we don't want to do that. Number four, those disagreeing should look for ways to compromise. Now, Christians don't like the word compromise, and I understand it, but we're not using it in the same context, you know, that's going to bother you. There are times when I personally believe, you believe whatever you want to, I personally believe that's what happened in this situation. I cannot work with that guy. I can't get past the fact that he abandoned us. He left us. This is too important. I'm not going to take him. Uh, I'm not going to give up on him. 
He's a good man. He made a major mistake, but I believe he has potential. So we don't, the scripture is silent on a lot of stuff. So I'm not going to say what it doesn't say, but we're left with, with, with some guesswork here. So, you know, what if Paul, Paul and I said, you know what, let's just do this. You take him this way and I want to choose how we're going to go this way. And by the way, Paul's initial desire was to go back to all the places that he had visited. Is that not correct? Paul didn't go back to all the places that he had visited. Barnabas and John Mark went to half of it. That implies to me some agreement, some compromise. It's not just all me. I'm going to go to all of it. You just get out of the way. No, these two men, together but separate, covered the entire place they had gone previously. And it seems to me both sets of uh, missionary endeavors were blessed by God in an incredible way. And, and, and so I think they found a way for no one to have to lose. Um, they didn't all get what they wanted exactly, but they found a way for everyone to walk away with a kind of a win. I think we see this in the text. Number five, our disagreements should not hurt the other person and especially the cause of Christ. You know, I, I think, and I think, I know Paul cared about John Mark. He writes affectionately towards him. He asked for him later. Um, I think he wasn't trying to hurt John Mark in this decision. He was protecting the purpose and the cause. And you know, the one thing that we know absolutely did not suffer in this situation was the cause of Christ. Their disagreement did not hurt what God wanted in this situation. God had stirred both these men's heart to go back, and what God wanted was accomplished. Hey, friend, that is an incredible lesson for here at Eastland Baptist Church. You can want what you want, I can want what I want, and you can want what you want. None of us have the right to hurt the mission of Eastland Baptist Church. You don't have the right to tear the garment of this church. You can have very sharp opinions, but don't hurt us. Don't hurt the cause of Christ. And don't hurt people. They're, they're a way to disagree with grace and kindness. It's, it's, you don't have that privilege in your sharp opinions to be abusive to the cause of Christ ever. Number six, even secure, I'm sorry, even severe, if you saw my handwriting, you understand that well, I couldn't get that. Even severe disagreement should not end in estrangement. I want you to think about that. Even severe, sharp disagreement should not end in estrangement. Now, I, 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 I say this specifically. I've read some articles lately that in America, among families, specifically as adult children grow older, there is more estrangement in Christian families than in recorded history. Now, reporting here is different, but there's more estrangement than there's ever been in American society. How about that? You and I don't get along, so I'm done with you. There's too much of that. There's too many people who are family, too many people who've gone to church for the same place for a long time, too many lifetime friends who find sharp disagreement, and then they're done with each other. I'm going to 
submit to you there's a better way. So let's, let's even say this. Let's say they did argue. Let's say for a time there was some animosity and bitterness between Paul and Barnabas. I don't think so, but if you want to, that's fine. But we can't agree on this. The Bible makes it incredibly clear in time they reconciled. Now, I don't like that word, but you can use it. They were joined back again. They got back together. See, that's what grace can do for Christians that maybe lost people can't do. Maybe you've had a big argument. Maybe lost people have a big argument, and their response to that is estrangement. But we're not lost. And we have the power of God working us in grace. And while I may while you and me may always have a sharp disagreement, there may be 10,000 things we agree on and one that we don't. And unless it's incredibly defiling and moral, then, you know, and I don't know what else would qualify. Because I think we can love you in Christians of a different stripe. Maybe not fellowship with the same way, but be kind. I don't know what else would qualify. You know, if safety isn't an issue, then I don't think that otherwise good people who've had a sharp disagreement can't find reason to reconcile with the help of the grace of God. And that's really my last point. Because we disagree about one thing doesn't mean we can't find common ground on a lot of other things. I can't agree with you, Barnabas, on this. Paul, I, I just can't get to your place. Okay, but man, hey, we love the church at Antioch. We love all the people we want to Christ. We want to make a difference there. We want to go on and, and have an impact. And all these things agreed, they agreed upon pulled them back together. I think there's a little bit of a template here for navigating conflict. And um, you are going to have to navigate conflict in life. And you may be in the midst of it. And if so, then I trust something that's said tonight can be a help. So let me ask you to stand tonight if you would.